is Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast, the Deals Activism podcast. And today I'm very excited to let you know that I have James Mitchell-Tonda, the chairman and CEO of Barrington Capital, one of the longest existing activist investment firms around today. Uh, we're talking, uh, it's been around since 2000, the, the fund. So uh, Jim and I have known each other for a long time, <laughs> probably going back to uh, Jim's activist campaign at Liquid Audio in 2001. And Jim, I can send you an article I just found that I wrote from that year if you want to look at it for old times. Yeah, we'd love to see it. <laughs> um, since Jim founded Barrington in, in January 2000, the firm has made activist investments in over 60 companies. That's six zero. That's a lot. And um, thanks for taking the time to speak with us, Jim. My pleasure, Ron. Thanks for having me. And yes, we have known each other for quite some time. <laughs> that is right. Okay. So first, let me know a little bit about Barrington Capital. I, I, I know that for our listeners to get a little bit of information about how the fund works, its strategy, and how it engages with companies. Well, we're a, we're a fundamental value-oriented activist investor. Mm -hmm. uh, we invest in undervalued publicly traded companies in a limited number of industries that we know and understand. Primarily consumer-focused businesses, companies like Dillard's, Darden, the Jones Group, Warnico, Steve Madden, industrial companies, some examples of which are Amaron, International, Stewart and Stevenson, Lancaster Colony, Shulman, which uh, recently entered into an agreement to sell itself to right. Lion Del Basso. And the Eastern Company, and also some business services company like Ebix, which has been a big success. Uh, for uh, our company. I've probably written about maybe 30 or 40 articles about those campaigns over the years, but yeah, no, <laughs> them bring back memories, Steve Madden, but it was gone. I'm sorry, can you repeat I said, that? I just said that some of them bring back memories. I remember writing a lot about Steve Madden. That was an interesting one. But anyways, go on. Uh, tell me a little bit more about Barrington. Well, we seek to invest in companies that are trading below their intrinsic value mm -hmm. and also offer a margin of safety. We like businesses that have very healthy balance sheet, consistent cash flow, uh, that have high barriers to entry and very valuable assets. Mm -hmm. We then work with operating executives and industry experts that assist us in formulating a detailed plan to unlock the company's long-term value potential by making improvements to its operations, corporate strategy, capital allocation, and of course, corporate governance. Mm -hmm. We're typically long-term investors. We invest anywhere between two to five-year period. Mm -hmm. We take a private equity approach to engagement. Uh, we seek to be collaborative. We're a very value-added investor. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you're not actually, you're not buying companies. You would buy large minority stakes and take a private equity attitude to your, to your investments in these companies by providing a lot of advice and things like that. That's, That's correct. Okay. That's absolutely correct. Okay, awesome. So uh, I know, based on my experience covering you over these years, that you have a longstanding reputation of being kind of a, I fit into the category of collaborative, constructive activist. And uh, I wrote recently about one of your investments, TriMass, where they, they mentioned in their earnings release that they've been privately engaging with Barrington for two years and thanked you for your constructive input. So that was nice. We have uh, been engaging with them for a couple of years, and they've done a, a terrific job over the last couple of years in enhancing value, and we have been uh, highly interactive with them and have communicated with them our thoughts, and it, uh, it's turned out to be a wonderful relationship. 
Okay, great. Then you can check out my thoughts on what uh, might happen next at TriMassOnTheDeal.com. But anyways, but it is true that uh, you are not afraid to engage in director election proxy contests if a company is intransigent. Um, I believe that over the past 10 years, you've, com- you've, you've commenced proxy contests a number of times, and I think seven or eight of them went to a vote. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your latest effort. With this, uh, one of your investments, Zerium Technologies, Barrington sent a letter to the company, and you nominated two directors for the 2018 meeting. So this is a minority slate uh, director election, which is typically what you guys do if you do not nominate directors, I believe. Um, what's the goal at Zerium, and why did you nominate two directors? Well, Zerium is a very interesting company. It provides products and services that are used on modern paper manufacturing machines. Mm-hmm. They have two yeah. business segments, one machine clothing, and the second one is roll covers. Both of, of Zerium's products are consumables, meaning that they wear out during the paper manufacturing process and require replacement. The two things that we like about Zerium is that it has a limited number of competitors and that the company's consumable products generate recurring revenues. Yeah, we also sorry, like, sorry, just to interrupt for a second, yeah. one thing that I think is really interesting, which I see with a lot of actors, Kim, is there's barriers to entry, right? That's a, that's a key, uh, something you, you look for often in, in companies that you invest in, uh, that there's uh, you know, not a lot of competitors that out there, right? True, and that is a characteristic of Zerium, is that it does have very limited number of competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, they actually also have repositioned their business to serve growing markets and products. Mm-hmm. What we would like for them to do is to reduce corporate costs, which we think is on the high side. Mm-hmm. We'd like for them to use its free cash flow to reduce debt. They generate about $100 million in EBITDA. And we would like for them to explore strategic transaction that would facilitate a refinancing of its $480 million of 9.5% senior notes on much more favorable terms than they currently are paying. We did nominate two directors, as you, as you stated, uh, for the election of the company's, uh, uh, to the company's board of directors. And about a week after we did submit the formal nomination letter, mm-hmm. uh, the company did announce that they would uh, uh, initiate a review of strategic alternatives, including a potential sale of the whole company. We'll see what happens. We do think that uh, Zerium is an attractive uh, candidate, and it would attract uh, interest from a number of different buyers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So just to be clear, I mean, is it that you guys would like to see them consider a sale of the business? Or you'd mentioned the strategic transaction about refinancing debt on more favorable terms. Both those things uh, is what you're looking for there? Well, we always think that the company should always be open both to uh, improving and creating value operationally and mm-hmm. uh, changes to their capital structure, as well as selling the company if that's a viable alternative. So we do think that these are things they should explore. Mm-hmm. Zerium, for example, has this high level of debt, and which is also uh, debt that's obviously costing the company 9.5%. We think that that could be better uh, restructured mm-hmm. uh, at a much more favorable terms if a, another larger company uh, could own them. Right. Oh, yeah, that's an important point. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you're hoping if you had your, your directors get elected, you might be able to nudge the company in this direction a little bit more. Okay. So I wanted to talk about Blumen Brands, which is another company I'm fascinated by, and your investment there. 
Um, I wrote about your campaign there. And then prior to that, uh, there was a settlement with uh, this other activist fund, Jana Partners, Barry Rosenstein, uh, to add a director. Uh, so the, they, I guess they added a direction to deal with this, this other fund. Um, so, okay, so Blumen Brands owns Outback, Outback Steakhouse uh, chain of restaurants, but also has three smaller chains, Carabas, Flemings, and Bonefish Grill. And so my immediate thought when I saw, uh, you know, activists investing in Blue and Brands is, you know, maybe this is a situation where they should uh, spin off those three smaller chains and or sell them as a unit. Um, so I guess one, A, you know, do you think it would it'd make sense for them to maybe spin off these chains? Would they be able to s- survive as a freestanding publicly traded entity with those three restaurants intact? Um, or uh, sell the, those businesses, you know, who would buy them? Could they you know, if, if they were to try to sell them, who would buy them? Well, Ron, as, as you know, uh, we, this is not the first time that we've invested in multi-branded restaurant companies. No, Darden Restaurants. Um, I that's know. correct. Oh, Darden, ones in Darden and Lone Star. That's correct. Darden yeah. and Lone Star Steakhouse a number oh, yeah. of years prior to Darden. Right, right, right. Um, and in each case, they were multi-segment companies. In each case, they were they had some uh, brands that were much larger and other brands that were more specialty. Mm-hmm. And in both of those cases, we were highly successful in our investment. So this is our third mm-hmm. uh, investment in a company similar to uh, uh, Darden and Lone Star, mm-hmm. which of course, in the case of Blooming Brands, they have four restaurant concepts which with national and international footprints, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure all your listeners would be familiar with, Outback Steakhouse, which is the largest of their brands, and then three smaller chains, Caraba, Bonefish, and Fleming's, which is a premium steakhouse brand. Mm-hmm. We believe that the past on the performance at the company, and it has been on the performance, especially relative to uh, many of the others, uh, was brought about by a number of issues, including poor operating execution, mm-hmm. weak same-store sales, ineffective advertising, and excessive corporate expenses. And to address these issues, in February, we did send the company a presentation outlining our recommendations. And among other things, we recommended a separation of Outback Steakhouse from the three smaller specialty brands, Bonefish, Carabas, and Fleming. Mm-hmm. We think um, that that would lead to improved strategic focus and operating execution, not only at those three brands, but especially at Outback Steakhouse, which is a dominant, large international one. We also recommend, uh, we did recommend that the company reduce corporate overhead and take steps to enhance the overall guest experience to increase revenue and improve uh, customer loyalty. Based on our analysis, Ron, we think that Blooming Brands could be worth uh, north of $40 per share if our recommendations are fully implemented. So that's interesting. I mean, as part of it, that uh, Outback would be more folk, you know, if they were, if Outback was separate from these three chains, there would be more of an intense focus on, on having Outback Steakhouse uh, do well on its own. And uh, the other, the other chains, if they were a separately publicly traded company, there would be a lot of focus on, on those, on those businesses and have, making sure they're successful, but together they're kind of able to rely on each other. And there's really kind of a too, too diffuse focus. Is, is that Well, we've seen that happen through the years, many times where companies think that um, because they have a large brand, um, you saw it happen even in the case of McDonald's. If you recall, McDonald's 
started to acquire other brands. Oh, yeah, uh, and true. after a number of years, it just stopped working. So McDonald's start, started to be as effective as they were. And of course, the other brands were negatively impacted. And they made a strategic decision to exit all of the other brands and just focus on McDonald's. And then Unfortunately, we yeah. see that repeatedly, not only in restaurants, but in multi-segment companies and multi-brand you know, uh, companies. Uh, there's a thinking that just because you have a very successful dominant business, like in the case of uh, Blooming Brands uh, Outback, that you should then go on and start to make acquisitions of others and it'll give you synergies, it'll uh, give you uh, much greater buying power in some of the products. And what typically happens is that your corporate overhead becomes bloated and your operating execution slows down. You have a loss of focus, it sounds like. Yeah, they, I mean, this is a kind of a conglomerate issue, which not a lot of conglomerates, uh, you know, maybe Ber uh, Berkshire Hathaway aside, don't work out very well. So that's a fascinating story. And Jim, I really appreciate you taking time. So I wanted to just one more go over one more company that you're invested in and have a, a really interesting campaign ad, and that's Avon Products which uh, you reached a deal in 2016 to appoint a mutually agree uh, acceptable director to the board. So that was a, a success. And then you've since uh, you know, you've been uh, uh, pushed to have Sherry McCoy, the CEO at the, uh, until not too long ago, replaced as a CEO. And uh, that was a successful effort, particularly as the, share, the company's share price really plummeted on her watch. And most recently, I, I, I thought this had happened a little bit a while ago, but I believe you were just added to the Avon board as a director last week. So congratulations on that. Um, anyway, just tell Thank us you. Anything, anything you could tell me about the, um, uh, the Avon, you know, the Avon's new CEO and your, your, you know, your thoughts on how the company's going. I, I wanted to also note very briefly, which I thought was also very interesting is that the new CEO, uh, Jan, uh, Jitterveld, uh, he recently bought, I'm probably, um, not, uh, saying his name correctly there, but you bought 250,000 shares of Avon uh, just this month, which, you know, we, you and I, we've talked very often about how Correct. Uh, boards and CEOs don't have any skin in the game at the companies they invest in. So that was a big, uh, that seems like that was a big, um, um, uh, uh, you know, boost in confidence. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's the second executive of the company also purchased 150,000 shares um, at the same time. Uh, with respect to Avon, unfortunately, Ron, as you know, being on the board and being a new member of the board, I'm limited as to what I can publicly state about the company. Um, I will say, however, that we are quite impressed with Avon's new CEO. Um, I think he's actionable. Um, I think he understands the business. He's had a great deal of experience. I think he operates at a quicker, faster tempo, and I think his plan is absolutely right on. Mm -hmm. uh, we do think that the improvements that have been made to the management team over the last uh, year, year and a half, uh, have also been quite positive. Um, and yes, I'm very pleased to have um, joined the board of Avon, and I do look forward to working with uh, Jan the management team and my fellow directors to help create uh, a very successful and a very meaningful long-term value for all of the shareholders. 
Yeah, it seems like uh, you know, and so that it's true that that his his investment there, uh, like you you agree that that seems that's like a boost in confidence that if he has this is is you know significant stake in the company that suggests that he believes that the stock price is going up, and it looks like you 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 did agree with them by uh, notice that uh, Arrington bought over one hundred thousand shares. Uh, just this week, so I guess is that, that you know that's a way of saying you you do you think that he's he's the right man going forward. I, I do. I, I think we have a great deal of confidence in him. Um, I think that uh, obviously, uh, given the fact that he did purchase shares, we thought that that certainly is a uh, is something positive and demonstrates his confidence in the company. Mm-hmm. And being now on the board and understanding the business even further. Um, we do have a great deal of confidence, and that's the reason why we did add to the position this week. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll be, we'll be watching to see how this plays out. I know that they moved their headquarters to, uh, the, to the U.K., Yes, a, a number of other restructuring, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, away from the extremely expensive Manhattan location, which I walked by long, uh, you know, about maybe, when was it, like a year ago or something like that. And so... Um, uh, so it looks like there's a lot of uh, you know, improvements and restructuring going on over there. So we'll be watching carefully. Jim, thank you so much for taking a little time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, I look forward uh, to uh, further discussions and conversations. This has been Ron Oral, and you've been listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>